Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I, uh, well, okay. This is where it's hard for me to get started. And then it's hard for me, especially when I've spoken before, and I think you already heard me speak. But let's just go there. Uh, if somebody would have asked me, hey, Bill, what do you do for a living? Hey, Bill, what do you do for a living? I think there's more than one person in here. Okay. I, I, keep, I hang out with people. I keep it real with them, and I ask them to keep it real with me. How many of you want me to be real today? Raise your hands. Okay, if I'm willing to be real, how many of you are willing to be real? Okay, look at the person next to you. That's your neighbor. Say neighbor. We're going to find out. Now, I'm going to have you talking to your neighbor quite a bit. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.25 in one translation, cease them with lying and tell your neighbor the truth because we're not separate units but intimately united in Christ. I think that's God's way of saying be real with each other. Amen? Amen. Okay, so I want you to be real. And then the Bible also says know those that labor among you. Okay, uh, you don't really know me. Most of you, some of you do. Uh, most of you don't. But I want to know you first before I get going. And then I'll get real. Let me see how real you're going to be. Just by the raising of your hands, how many of you have found out life is a lot more difficult than you thought it would be? How many of you find out serving Jesus a lot more difficult than you thought it would be? How many of us find ourselves doing stupid stuff every once in a while? Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's real. Okay. Uh, how many of us do stupid stuff and we know it's stupid, but we do it anyway? Okay, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, what in the ham sandwich is the matter with you? And then how many of us have one of these in our lives? Something that we've done, our attitude about it is, oh my God, I hope no one ever finds out I did that. How many of us have one of those? Anybody? Okay, say neighbor. And I won't be telling you about it either. But if we're real and we're raising our hands, uh, then it puts us on a level playing field. If you didn't raise your hand during one of those questions, that called being fronting. Fronting is acting like you got it all together and you don't have it all together. <laughs> Say neighbor. neighbor. I think he's talking about you right now. Okay. I didn't share this this morning. Let me tell you what fronting looks like. I, I, I was a policeman. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But I locked the young man up in my office, and I wasn't paying attention. I turned my back on him, and I left my gun laying on the desk. And when I turned around, he had my gun pointed at me. And I just said, hey, put that gun down. Put the gun down. Now, that's how I looked on the outside. On the inside, ah! And by God's grace, he put the gun down. And in the words of Mr. T, I beat that boy like a drum. <laughs> no, no, no. So... In Jesus' name, because the Bible says whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. No, not really. Okay. So let me uh, share a little bit about myself, and, and uh, I'm just going to be real. And hopefully we'll be able to laugh together today. You know, the Bible says laughter does good as a medicine. Uh, I, I'm not a comedian, but you might hear some things that apply to yourself, and there's nothing more funny than ourselves. Amen? Amen. Okay. So born and raised in New York City, grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Uh, my mother was involved with organized crime. She was a bookie for the mafia. I did not realize that until many years later when I began to investigate the mafia. And I looked back, I was like, dang, that's what mommy used to do. <laughs> Uh, I was the victim of child abuse at her hands, uh, severe child abuse. I didn't realize it was child abuse. I just thought I was getting my beat. And I looked back, I was like, dang, that's what mommy used to do. Uh, I was at a camp one time, and a girl had a T-shirt on. It said, save your drama for your mama. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. 
Bill's mama was his drama, okay? Uh, and I grew up with mom, dad, and two cousins, A.B. and Betty. And, and A.B. was five years older than me. He was the brother I never had, and, and uh, I always wanted a brother. Mom and dad never had any more kids. And Betty was this young girl. She was 15 years old, uh, but very promiscuous. And so uh, as, a, as a little boy, I saw a lot of her in her promiscuity. If you have to ask what promiscuous means, you don't need to know. Amen? Okay? And, and so... I grew up in that craziness, and I came home from school. I was 13 years old, last day of school. I get to the house, and some of my mom's friends are at the house. And, and they said, Bill, we got some bad news for you. Uh, your mom died today. And at 13 years old, I remember taking my dog for a walk. And I remember crying. Even to this day, I don't know why I cried. I don't know if I was mad, glad, or sad, but I felt some of that drama was going to stop. Maybe I didn't put it in those words. And I get back home, and A.B.'s come home from school. He's 18 years old. He sees I've been crying. He goes, why are you crying? I said, well, I'm crying because mommy died. And he says, well, so what? She's not your real mother. Your real mother is the girl you think is your cousin, Betty. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Dang. <laughs> what do you do with that at 13 years old? What do you do with that when you don't know who Jesus is? Uh, and then I heard that Betty went to have me aborted. And the lady who did illegal abortions uh, back in 1947 talked her out of doing, say, neighbor. neighbor. He can't be that old. Say neighbor. neighbor, black don't crack. I'm just saying. Okay, so, 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 <clears throat> she talked to Betty out of doing this abortion, and she became my godmother, and ended up giving her life to Jesus. And in the year 2000, God gave me the honor of burying her, and so she could have buried me, and God gave me that incredible privilege. But my life spiraled out of control. Went to an all-boys high school in the Bronx. Seven thousand boys went to the school. Played football there. Real good athlete. Quit school as soon as football season ends my senior year, began running the street with a crew that was doing bank robberies and murder, joined the military to keep from going to jail, got married while I was in the military to my first wife who passed away and is now with Jesus, uh, since been remarried, been married now for seven years. And, and, and so things were crazy. And then I got out of the military and, and I became a police officer. And they gave me a gun and they gave me a badge, they gave me a uniform, but those things were not able to change my character. Uh, and it gave me a lot of authority, the authority to take your life, the authority to take people's freedom, but it didn't have any power. And as a result of that stuff not having any power, my life got worse and worse, and I began to deal with the pain and hurt in my life through drugs and alcohol. So here I was, a detective on the SWAT team, strung out on drugs, an alcoholic, and one day I got real. December 26, 1980, at 2.45 in the afternoon, I was watching TV. And the man on television, like, pointed at the screen. It was almost like he was in my house. He said, are you a sinner? I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, do you know Jesus? I said, no. Say neighbor. neighbor. You know you got issues if you get an attitude with the television. <laughs> and then he said, call this 800 number. And the 800 number flashed on the screen. I called that number, and a man explained to me the incredible love of Jesus Christ. And I prayed with that man, and I received Christ in my life, and I was completely set free from drugs and alcohol, filled with the joy and peace I had never had before. My wife came home from shopping. She had been out, you know, at the store, and I, I, I meet her at the door, and I said, Claudia, this is the new me. Jesus came into my life. I'm born again by the Spirit of God. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, because that's all the stuff that man told me on the telephone. Say, neighbor, whatever you do, never say stupid stuff to a black woman. <laughs> and when I said that to her, she went just like this, yeah, right. And she thought God was going to kill me because I had incorporated him in one of my lies. And rather than killing me, he saved her and saved my kids and saved my father at 83 years old. And he turned our entire household around. And I went back to work, a different police officer. I went back to work and I understood instantly why people did the things that they did. Because they didn't know who Jesus was. They were sinners in need of a savior. 
And so I never had to take that job personally. I didn't have to hurt people anymore. And whoever I would lock up, I would tell them about Jesus. Hey, you know why you rob banks? You need Jesus in your life. You know why you beat your wife? You need Jesus in your life. And I would see many of these people come to the Lord. And I stayed on the job 10 more years. But I came to the Lord, and I brought some baggage with me. How many of us have some baggage in our lives? Anybody in the house? Okay, everybody get real. If you, if you got some baggage, okay, everybody put your 3D glasses on. These are your spiritual glasses. They allow you to look into the spirit realm. Okay, I'll wait for you to put them on. Okay, put your glasses on. Now look your neighbor up and down. Say neighbor. Oh, you got a lot more glass. You got a lot more baggage than I thought you had. Okay, the reason I almost said glasses is because I watched one guy, he had corrective lenses on, so I give him a get-out-of-jail card. But in the meantime, we got stuff. And I became a chaplain. God called me to the ministry. I became a chaplain at a residential treatment center for emotionally disturbed boys. And at that time, I was in the Pentecostal church, and I went, and I decided, uh, I'm going to save all these kids. I, I went there to be the healer, but God sent me there to be healed. And he gave me 300 little me's to work with. And he gives me a woman boss. And my attitude at the time was no woman tells me what to do. Even though the Bible says be obedient to those in authority over you. And if I'm the associate chaplain and she's the chaplain, I have to submit to her authority. Amen? Amen. In my Bible it says unless it's a woman. And I wrote that in there. Okay. <laughs> and God ain't say neighbor. God ain't feeling that. But she doesn't know about my childhood. She's a white lady. And, and you know what? Key fight words at Children's Village are these two words. Your mama. Black and brown kids, we know how to go there. White people don't know how to play the your mama game too tough. Like we just go like, yo, your mama's one. And you get a couple of knuckles. Talk about your mama. Okay, next thing you know, it's on. White people are more like, you're a mother. Well, that's not real painful. <laughs> Say neighbor. neighbor. Cultural. Cultural. Not racial. It's just the deal, okay? And if you want to take me up on that later on, if you're white, come to me and say your mom in your angriest voice, and if you prove me wrong, I'll never sell that again. Okay, so I just want you to say. So she doesn't know about my childhood. I had never talked about my childhood. And one day she got sick and tired of me clashing against her authority, and she got in my face. And she, I'll never forget, she took her fist and she went just like this. What kind of a mother did you come from? Scooby-Doo. <laughs> And I stepped away from her, and I took a ride. And I thought about that. I came from two mothers, and they messed my life up, and they're both dead, and I'm still angry. And these words came out of my mouth. Mommy, wherever you are, I forgive you. Betty, wherever you are, I forgive you. Father, forgive me for what I've allowed that to do to me. And I'm telling you, folks, a weight came off me. I could feel a weight leave me that I never knew I was carrying. How many of you have been angry at somebody? How many of you have been angry at somebody they didn't know you were angry at? And you're having a good time until they show up. You could be talking right here, right now. And you'd be just... <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, who's living rent-free in your head? Those people need to be forgiven. And Ephesians 4.28 says it this way in one translation. And be as ready to forgive others as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Forgiveness has nothing to do with about what's been done to you. Forgiveness is all about what has been done for you. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Hmm. I never thought about it that way before. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the talk. Let's go here today. Here's what I want us to think about today. I want us to think about going home a different way. The Bible lets us know that when the wise men came seeking Jesus, after they had found him and gave him gifts, being divinely warned by an angel, they departed a different way. 
I, I like that, but it's a little bit of a stretch in regards to what I want to talk about today. So Ezekiel 46 and 9 says it this way. And when the people come into the Lord's house on the feast day to worship, let the ones who come through the north gate leave through the south gate. And let those who come through the south gate leave through the north gate. Let no one leave through the gate in which they came. I think that's God's way of saying when you come into my presence and when you pray and you sing worship songs and you hear the word of God, you get a chance to go home a different way. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say this with authority. Say, neighbor, whatever you do, don't go home the way you came. God wants us all to go home a different way. God wants us to go home allowing him to live his life through us. You know, we've been given eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ. Say, neighbor, neighbor. eternal life, eternal life. Is, more is more than living forever. Eternal life is a quality of life. Eternal life is a quality of life. I want us to think about that. Here's what happens when I read the Bible. It turns into a movie for me. It's incredible about Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 in one translation says it this way. Let Jesus Christ be your example as to what your attitude should be. God says in his word, you really want to see how to live life? Pattern your life after my son. I think about the disciples who hung out with him in his earthly ministry for three and a half years. I think about what it must have been like for them to watch him and listen to him, the way he dealt with people, broken people, the way he healed people, the way he explained the word of them tonight, at night. Changed them to such a degree, the Bible says these people are going to turn the world upside down. But it was a process, and God has begun a process in us. You know, the Bible lets us know that uh, he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That when you and I give our lives to him, he goes to work tweaking these little things here and there to make us to be formed into the image of God's dear children. Amen? And I want us to think about that. And so we read God's word. I, I love Jesus. Anybody who really got real with Jesus, their lives were never the same. If you don't hear me say anything today, the more real you are with Jesus, the more real he will become to you. He said, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Spend some time in his presence. There's something that comes from being in the presence of God. It's like radiation. Remember when Moses, I didn't share this this morning, but when Moses went up on the mountain and he came down and he was so radiant that they couldn't look at him, they had to put a veil over him. He did not go up to get the glow. He went up to be with God. And as a result of being with God, he got the glow. Everybody put your 3D glasses on. Look at your neighbor up and down. Saying, neighbor, neighbor, I'm starting to see the glow. Okay, so let's... Uh, let's get this out right now. Say, neighbor. neighbor. I'm glad he ain't speaking next week. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right. So I want us to think about some things. Uh, I think about people coming to Jesus. And, and, you know, again, when I read the Bible, it just turns into a movie. So I, I mean, you use your imagination. Suppose you were with Jesus on this particular day. In the book of Mark, in the ninth chapter, the 10th verse, here's what it says. And Jesus took to the road again. Okay, just for the expedience of time, we'll do it this way. He took to the road again, and as he began to go, a man came out of the crowd. You and I are there. We see this man. We're up at the front of the line, and he drops on his knees in front of Jesus, and he looks up at him, and he says, good teacher, what can I do to have eternal life? He wants what you and I have if we have a relationship with Jesus. He wants that. What do I got to do, good teacher? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Listen to what Jesus said. Why do you call me good? For there's no one. That's good. 
except God. Now, Jesus didn't say he wasn't good. This young man just didn't know he was talking to God in the flesh. But then he says, nevertheless, you know the commandments. And he says, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not cheat. Honor your mother and your father. How many of you broken any of those rules? Anybody in the house? I've broken them all. And let's just go through. And, and maybe, let me see how real you're going to be. How many people here we have here who are not murderers? Anybody in the house who is not a murderer? Raise your hand. Okay. Jesus says, though, if you've ever hated someone in your heart, as far as God is concerned, you are a murderer. How many murderers we got in the house? Say neighbor. Oh, you know your hand ought to be up in the air. <laughs> and, and then he says, don't commit adultery. Well, he would even go on to say, don't even think about committing adultery or having an inappropriate, that kind of a relationship just for the little squirrels that are in here. Say neighbor. I hope he don't ask us to raise our hands now. Then he says, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. Honor your mother and your father. How about this guy? And so we, our attention goes from Jesus to him. Lord, I've kept all those rules since I was a little boy. Wow. And Jesus, who knew all men, the Bible says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. But you lack one thing. Go and sell everything that you have. Give the money to the poor. Pick up your cross and follow me. And you will have riches in heaven. The place he said he really kind of like wanted to go. And at that saying, he turned and walked away. Wow. Even though he looked great on the outside, there was something broken on the inside. And we'll get back to that. And you know what I love about Jesus? You can't put him in a box. He doesn't... He very rarely does the same thing the same way. And so the Bible says in the book of Luke in the 10th chapter, and just before we go there, I want to stop. In the 9th chapter, in Luke 9, 51, and when it came time for Jesus to go back to heaven, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Another translation says he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem, and he knew what was waiting on him in Jerusalem. A cross, exactly. A cross that should have been meant for us, but he died on it in our place. That God just doesn't say that he loves us. He demonstrates his love. For the love of God was demonstrated for you and I that while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. But they were going through the land of the Samaritans. Who were the Samaritans? People who had intermarried, very much like our blended marriages today, Jews and Syrians who had intermarried with one another. And, and the Jews had a hatred for them. And they despised them. They had a prejudice. And I want to even stop right here. I think about what has taken place in our country over these last couple of years. I think about the division. I think about the hatred. I think about the political hatred that has even crept into the church where if you're a certain party, people who were your best friends and closest friends yesterday hate you today. And Jesus ain't playing that. I think about racial division and Jesus ain't playing that. And the verses in scripture prove that out. Financial division. All kinds of division. And it was Jesus himself who says a house divided against itself cannot stand. But where there's unity, there's strength. So I think Satan says, I'll get you divided. 
I'll get you at one another. And there's a world out there who needs the Jesus, not in this building, but in the God who lives in this building, in the people of God. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Oh, he's talking about you right now. They need what we have. But yet and still, many times they come here, not here in particular, but to the church, and they see just as much turmoil within as there is without. And God wants to make a difference in you, in me, so that he might make a difference through us. And so in the book of John in the fourth chapter, Jesus went into the land of the Samaritans, and he meets this Samaritan woman at a well, and he asks her for a drink. And she says, why is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? For we know that Jews don't have anything to do with the Samaritans. And that is not how Jesus felt about that. When Jesus looks, the eyes that look through Jesus look in love. Jesus isn't despising or looking down on anyone. He looks at them as someone who needs a savior. Well, meanwhile, back in Luke 9. Now he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers out, his boys, his disciples, guys who have been with him for three years or so. And they go through the land of the Samaritans. And the Samaritans know Jesus is going back to Jerusalem, and they won't receive him. And so the disciples come back with an attitude. Lord, they didn't receive us. You want us to rain fire down on them and kill all of them like Elijah did? Say, neighbor. They didn't learn much from the Prince of Peace. In the King James Version, it says this, and Jesus rebuked them, and he said, you don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to take men's lives. He came to give life. And they went to another village. And he continues on his mission, his mission, the mission that his father gave him to go to a cross ultimately for you and I. But he wanted to teach people while he was on his way. He wanted to speak truth. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so now we go from Luke 9 to Luke 10. And all of a sudden, a man comes to him, a lawyer, not an attorney of law like we have, but a man who studies the word of God. Tradition says these men had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Say, neighbor, if you memorize Leviticus, you got way too much time on your hands. But these guys, they studied the word of God. And so he steps to Jesus to test him. And I think about that. And, and, he, and, and, and he wants to know, what do I have to do to have, have eternal life? And then Jesus flips the script on him. Well, what does the law say? What have you learned from your reading? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, loving me is not optional. Because Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you would love one another, that your joy would be full. So I think about that. He gets the answer right. Quite right, Jesus says, do that and you will live. And willing to justify himself, well, who's my neighbor? His head probably didn't go like that, though. Okay. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't let that hook him. Maybe he thinks he's got the God-loving thing part right. And I wonder sometimes, we think we got the God-loving thing right, but God's word says, 
How can you say, God speaking, that you love me who you've never seen and not love your neighbor who you have seen? Just a thought. And so Jesus tells him this story. He tells him a parable, a spiritual story, a natural story, rather, with a spiritual meaning. And then when I read it, it becomes a natural story with a spiritual meaning. And so he tells about a man who left Jerusalem to go down to Jericho. Why down to Jericho? Because Jerusalem sits at 2,600 feet above sea level. Jericho is 1,300 feet below sea level. Today in the world, the lowest city on the face of the earth. It's a downward road. And the road that leads to that city is a windy road. It was called the way of blood because bandits used to hang out on that road. And I'm sure you heard this story and you know this story, but just bear with me today. So he goes. Why does he go by himself? Why does, does he not know about this road? The word not, did he not get the memo? Maybe he had urgent business there. Maybe he forgot. Maybe it was one of those things Oh, he overlooked, but he went by himself. Usually they went in caravans or in groups. He's on that road and some bandits see him. And the Bible says, and they came. And you can read this for yourself in the book of Luke uh, in the 10th chapter. They came and they beat him. They stripped him of his clothing. They took his money and they left him there half dead. And then Jesus tells this part of the story. And a priest came along. A priest comes along and he sees him laying there. And the Bible says, and he crossed over on the other side and kept going. I think about this. There are people that know that we're the God people. There are people in our lives who are hurting buckaroodies. They don't know the God that we know. They've heard about him. And a lot of times, unfortunately, what they heard is not a good thing. But you're there. I wonder what this guy thinks. He's laying on the road. And again, I know it's a parable. And he looks up and he sees a priest. Literally, thank God. Only to see that priest walk away. Can you imagine if it was me? Now that you know some things about me, you know I was in the military, you know I was, I was a police officer, you know I'm a minister of the gospel, okay? And you saw me, but I didn't see you. And I came down the road, and I went by him. I would think you'd be pretty disappointed in me. I would think you think Bill needs to do something. But maybe this guy's got a legitimate reason for not doing something. You know what? Because if he touches somebody who's bleeding, he's got an issue of blood, and the person who touches him becomes ceremonially unclean. Maybe that guy had a speaking engagement that afternoon or the next day. Oh, I can't stop. i got to give the word of God. And so he justifies within himself a reason to leave him there. And then a Levite comes along. And who are Levites? Levites were guys who assisted the priests in their priestly duties. And the Bible says he crossed over clean on the other side. Sometimes it's monkey see, monkey do. Somebody else doesn't do anything, so I'm not going to do anything. And he leaves him there. And then Jesus telling the story. And then came a Samaritan. And I would think probably within that lawyer's heart, oh, I know he ain't bringing no Samaritan into the story. <laughs> a Samaritan comes along, riding a donkey. <laughs> and he sees him. And the Bible says his heart went out to him. The Bible says he had compassion. You know, a lot of people know this verse. The harvest is ripe. The labors are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest 
to send laborers into the vineyard. Most people don't know the verse right in front of that verse. And Jesus, seeing the multitude, had compassion on them. His heart went out to them. So the Samaritan climbs down off of his donkey, in my way of looking at it, and he begins to minister to this man's wounds. The Bible says he applied oil and wine. You know, the priests walk around with those things, but that priest did nothing. He applies oil and wine to him. But that's just not enough. You just can't leave this man out here in the middle of the road. He's willing to put himself in harm's way. He's willing to get down and get dirty to help this man, a stranger. You know what I love about the fact that this guy didn't have any clothes on? You couldn't tell what kind of man he was. You couldn't tell that. Was he a Jew? Was he a Samaritan? Outwardly, you couldn't tell. I say, what difference does it make? It was someone that needed help. And then he lifts him up. And he puts him on the donkey. And I would think as he lifted him up, he looked at his own clothing. And what was on his clothes? Dirt, blood, wine, oil. The things that he gave out came back to him. When Jesus was touched by the woman with the issue of blood, the Bible says virtue went out of him in Mark 5. If virtue goes out, virtue has to come back. And when you give out, God is willing to give back. And a lot of times, we don't give out. And we want more power, and we don't use the power that God has given us. Just a thought. And I would think he didn't take him to town naked. I would think in some kind of way he covered him. Maybe even covered him with his own outer garment. And he checks him into a hotel. And the Bible says, and he stayed with him all night long. And again, it's only a parable, and I'm reading a lot into it, but I don't think the things that I'm reading into it are anti-biblical. He stays with him. I wonder if the man began to get a temperature from his wounds. Did he just put a cool rag on his head? I wonder, did he kind of swab down cuts that began to ooze pus? I wonder if this man went in and out of consciousness, and he sees a stranger sitting at the foot of his bed, talking to someone. And maybe the man lifts his head to look around the room, but he doesn't see anyone. But whoever this man thinks he's talking to, he's talking to about this man. And maybe he hears things like, oh, God, please, don't let him die in his sin. Oh, God, please, heal him. God, please, do not allow him to become bitter and hateful. Oh, God, I know that you're able to set him free. I don't know. But I wonder what the man thinks. I wonder what the man thinks when a total stranger has had compassion on him and done the things that would give him life or to sustain the life he already had. So he stays all night long, and in the morning, he takes a couple of silver coins. They believe that it's somewhat in the area of two weeks' wages, and gives it to the innkeeper. And he said, and if that's not enough, I'll pay the rest when I come back. You know, I, dating myself, I grew up with the Lone Ranger. And at the end of the Lone Ranger, this question usually would be asked, who was that masked man? 
wow. Maybe that means, who was that guy? I think it's meant to be you and I. I think it's meant to be Jesus. Because the Bible says, behold, your king comes lowly and riding on an ass. The Bible says he sits high, but he looks low. That his ears are not dull, that they cannot hear. His arms aren't short, that they cannot save. The Bible says he lifts us up out of the pit and sits us in a heavenly place. The Bible says he is the one that heals all of our diseases and wounds. The Bible says he's the one that pays the price. The Bible says he's the one that's coming back again. That same Jesus has chosen to take residence inside of us. There used to be a commercial, go Greyhound and leave the drive-in to us. The God of the universe, when you give your heart to him, kind of like my imagination, opens you up, steps down inside of your body, and says, now let me live my life through you. Let me use those eyes. Let me use those arms. Let me use your hands. Let me use your mouth. Let me have your heart. I want to make a difference in this world. And to make a difference, there's got to be a difference. And the difference isn't you. The difference is Jesus. I want us to think about that as we go home a different way. I sense in here people who have been hurt, people who have gone through some difficult stuff. You know what I love about God? He leaves no stone unturned. As you allow God to minister to your wounds and hurts and brokenness, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, one, one, one translation says of this, that God is the God of all comfort and mercy. He gives us comfort where? In our trials. Why? So that we in turn can give comfort to others in theirs. And the more that we share Christ's sufferings, the more we are able to give his encouragement. This means if we have to experience trouble, we could pass on to you the same sort of spiritual help that we ourselves have received. In other words, God says, I gave you the hookup, and now I want to hook up somebody through you. That's what happens when you go home a different way. That's what happens when you allow Jesus to truly have his way. He will enable you and empower you to speak the truth in love to people who you don't think are lovable. But to speak the truth in love, you must know, you must love, rather, who you're speaking to. Because speaking the truth in love without love is just being politically correct, and most people can tell the difference. God is calling us to go find broken people and literally love the hell out of them rather than beat the hell out of them, to get close. I'll close with this. I don't know if kids still play it. We had a game growing up, when I was growing up, called Cooties. <laughs> and if you had the Cooties and you touched somebody else, they would get your Cooties. <laughs> when somebody had an issue of blood, they had the Cooties. Did you notice Jesus never got the cooties? He healed the cooties. And because he's healed your cooties, he enables you and equips you to go out to be part of the healing process in theirs. 
whether you understand it or not, God in his incredible wisdom, his infinite plan has chosen to use broken people to send into the world to be lights in a world of darkness, to be the cities that are set upon hills that cannot be hidden. Say neighbor. Jesus wants to do something through you. Let's try to say it like we mean it. Say neighbor. Jesus wants to do something through you. All you have to do is let him. Okay, Father God, today in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these your sons and daughters. And I pray, oh God, that you would pour your spirit out upon them in an unbelievable way. I pray, God, that you would begin to heal wounds that still fester, wounds of hurt, wounds of brokenness. We're all products of people who've loved us and people who've not loved us. And there have been people who've loved us well and some haven't done a good job. But you've done a phenomenal job. And you love us with an everlasting love. And it is by your loving kindness that you draw us. And it is by your love that you send us. Allow us all to go home a different way today. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thank you.